Oh, that's great. Well, you're going to need your Bibles. You will need to open them up to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 14. And we are in a series called Moses, a story of doubt and deliverance. And we are in a section on the Ten Commandments called the Big Ten. And let me just say that we have had some heavy topics over the last several weeks. Am I right? Our topics have included don't murder. Our topics have included abortion last week. If you missed that sermon on Sanctity of Life, make sure you listen to that one. And then today we're talking about adultery. So if you're newer here or if you like to have the kids in the service, I told people last week, just know that the, ser- the sermons are going to be like mature content for the next several weeks. You can always bring your kids down and check them into kids' ministry even now. Adultery is an important topic that we have to talk about, and thankfully God's Word goes there. Uh, now, in the headlines recently, we have seen all of this footage of the royal wedding. How many of you put your hand up if you watched any of the royal wedding? Put your hand up. Right, Prince Harry, a few brave men who put their hands up and admitted that. That's very good, very brave of you. I, my hand is up. I watched a little bit of it. You got uh, Prince Harry, right, and he married Meghan Markle. And the press is, of course, who doesn't love to hear about a prince finding his princess? Am I right? Uh, and, and when it comes to the story, though, there's many different angles that people have taken on it. And the media is really zeroing in on the fact that the royal family has changed. And the royal wedding showcases the world and the church's changing views on marriage, on divorce, and on adultery. Uh, And so one way to look at it is to see it as how the world is changing all wrapped up in this one family. How have things changed? Well, in 1936, King Edward VIII fell in love with a woman uh, who had been divorced uh, she had actually been married twice, and he committed adultery with her while she was still married. And then she wanted, he wanted to marry her. Well, in 1936, the church and the world would not stand for this happening. So King Edward VIII had to put down his crown and give up his throne because uh, of his adultery, and he was marrying a woman who had been married before. Now, let me just say that again. In 1936, the church and the world would not stand for it, and he had to give up the throne because of it. So now the media is talking about how things have changed, uh, because Meghan has been married before, and there there has been so much change in the royal family in their view on marriage uh, and adultery. The traditional vows have changed. The vows had remained the same through through, uh, Prince William and Kate's wedding, and listen to what the vows included when they got married, which was not too long ago. The priest said this, I require and charge you both as you will answer on the dreadful day of judgment when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed that if either of you know any impediment why you may not be lawfully joined together in matrimony, you now confess. Oh my goodness, that was in the vows, but it's not in the vows anymore. The vows have changed. So the media is showing how this change in Uh, their view on marriage and divorce and adultery is displaying how the world and the church has changed its view. These vows were actually long out of date considering Prince Charles who walked Meghan down the aisle. Uh, Prince Charles was caught by Princess Di before their wedding confessing his love to another woman who he had bought wedding presents for. Uh, And then he stood up and said these vows which include talking about the dreadful day of judgment coming. What do we see here? 
we see here how the world and the church has changed its view on marriage, on adultery, uh, even the vows. And what we see in the royal family has happened all around the world. The truth is that the world and in many places the church have abandoned a sacred view of marriage. They have abandoned a sacred view of marriage. Um, and it's changed fairly rapidly. The queen, when um, Prince uh, Charles was remarried, the queen wouldn't even go to the wedding. And yet now she, of course, was at the wedding uh, with uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. If you don't understand that the world has changed around you and that the world has abandoned the sacred view of marriage, you're going to get swept down the stream uh, in this area. The Bible has a lot to say about adultery and God wants to protect you from it. So today, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I need you to understand that I'm serving a few different purposes here. One of them is to inform you what the Bible actually says because we can't assume that people just know what God's law is. Second, I'm warning you as one who speaks the very words of God that have been handed down from heaven. Uh, I'm warning you of something from heaven that is dead serious. And finally, I'm offering a path of redemption for anybody who's been caught up in this sin. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, thank you that you have laid out your law, and we know that your law protects true love. We know, O oh Lord, that you want us to be happy, you want us to be holy. You want us to be healthy. Help us to understand how your word, how your law accomplishes that. We pray, Lord, that you would, as the psalmist says, test us, O Lord, and see. Examine our hearts and minds. Purify us, Lord, and purify your church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. In Exodus 20, verse 14, imagine yourself standing at the foot of a mountain that's on fire. And imagine a loud, thundering voice that's shaking the ground under your very feet. And then imagine a famous man, Moses, coming down the mountain with two stone tablets inscribed by the very finger of God. What would they say? And how would you respond to what was written on those stone tablets? Well, that's where we are. We're at Sinai. Moses is there. And here on the Ten Commandments, we see in verse 14, it says this, You shall not commit adultery. Very quick, very brief, yet very powerful. You shall not commit adultery. There could be a few other sexual sins included in the word adultery here in the original language, but we're just going to zero in on the act of adultery. Uh, number one, you can fill this in in your bulletin. We have to define the problem biblically. God has a law. There's a moral law. Uh, heaven has a court. Justice flows from the will of God. So whatever laws are on earth, they reflect a more perfect uh, and severe law found in heaven. So we have to define the problem of sexual sin biblically. There are other sexual sins mentioned in the Bible, like fornication, which is sex before marriage, prostitution, selling sex, right? But the one we're going to deal with now is adultery. And write this down. Here's a simple definition of adultery. Adultery is sex with someone you aren't married to. So you're married and you're having sex with somebody you aren't married to. Uh, if you're having sex with somebody who's, who's married, even if you're single, but that person's married and you're not married to them, then that would be called adultery. That is the sin. Now, the problem, biblically, is that God forbids this sin. The problem, culturally, is that our culture glamorizes adultery, normalizes adultery, and yet mourns the pain of betrayal that always comes because of adultery. Our culture glamorizes it, normalizes it, and then mourns the pain of it once it's happened. When it comes to promiscuity and adultery, you can 
you can see in the TV shows, you can see in the books that are popular now, and especially in the music, how the culture feels about promiscuity and adultery. There's a reason why Adele, for example, in her song, Rumor Has It, includes the lyrics, you've been telling people things you shouldn't be, like when we creep out and she ain't around. It's about promiscuity. There's a reason why Rihanna, in her song, Unfaithful, processes the guilt that she's causing the man she's supposed to be with by sneaking around behind his back. There's a reason why Maroon 5 has a popular song called Wake Up Call, which is about a man catching his girlfriend or wife, cheating with another man, and then the guy who catches them shoots the guy dead in the bedroom. Why is that song so popular? It's because these themes are powerful. The themes of love and betrayal, faithfulness and unfaithfulness and revenge. So promiscuity and adultery are glamorized and normalized in our culture, and yet, and yet the pain is always felt once it happens. Because of this, we live in a very morally confusing day when all of the media around us can easily make sexual sin look normal, inevitable, and glamorous. But you, Christian, have to understand that sexual sin is not normal, it is not glamorous, and it is not inevitable. If you're not careful, though, you won't understand that you are meant to be a light in this world. If you just flow downstream with everybody else around you and there's no difference between you and them, you're going to get caught up in the sewage. You have to be ready to swim against the stream to be a light in the world. In Luke 16, 18, Jesus also gives another nuance of what adultery is according to the Bible. He says this, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. This means that according to God's law, if you go through an unbiblical divorce and then you marry another person, God calls that adultery. If you marry someone who went through an unbiblical divorce, you are committing adultery with that person. Now, just to be clear, that doesn't mean that every moment you're with that person is ongoing adultery, but it means the act that you have left that person you were bound to by oath before God and marrying another, that's called an adulterous choice. And it's something that you have to repent of, and it's something that you have to understand breaks God's law. Uh, God's law allows for divorce in a few cases if the other person is physically unfaithful, uh, which means they have had an affair that has been confirmed, um, or if it's an unbeliever you're married to who deserts you and they won't remain married to you, or if your spouse dies. Those are the reasons for a biblical divorce. So as you can see, God's law is very strict, very clear, and very severe. Define the problem biblically. The problem is having sex with someone you aren't married to. Uh, now, where does this problem of, of adultery come from? Well, one of the ways we can follow it to its source is by listening to how the world is processing marriage and sexuality changing. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just last year, and the headline in the Wall Street Journal said this, cheap sex and the decline of marriage. That's the headline. Cheap sex and the decline of marriage. Why is marriage in retreat among young Americans? Because it is now much easier for men to find sexual satisfaction outside of marriage. He goes on to say that as recently as 2000, married 25 to 34-year-olds outnumbered their peers who were never married by a margin of 20%. But by 2015, that had flipped. And the um, 25 to 34-year-olds who had never married outnumbered those who were married by about uh, 13%. 
That means that there are more people in that age bracket who just aren't married yet, and they're taking a longer time getting there. Now, many sociologists have suggested reasons why this trend is happening, why people just aren't getting married like they used to. One hypothesis was men are afraid of commitment. Another one is that men aren't uh, making as much money as they did in that age group yet. But here's what the author of this article says. My own research points to a more straightforward and primal explanation for the slowed pace toward marriage. For American men, sex has become rather cheap. For American men, sex has become rather cheap. As compared to the past, many women today expect little in return for sex. He goes on to talk about how, for many men, the transition away from a mercenary attitude toward relationships can be difficult. He said, small instances of self-sacrificing love may sound simple, but they are less likely to develop when past and present relationships are founded on the expectation of cheap sex. The point he's making is this. If sex is cheap before marriage, people won't get married, or it'll stay cheap once you are married. He concludes by saying this. It turns out that in a world in which it is possible to satisfy our sexual desires much more immediately, it carries with it a number of unhappy and unintended consequences. Wow. This is the world saying this. This isn't the church. This is the world reflecting on how marriage is changing, sex is changing, and our ideas on these things have changed drastically. There are cultural, huge cultural shifts all around you. If you don't understand that following the biblical norms for marriage and for sexuality will make you so different from everyone else around you, you're not going to be prepared for the backlash. If you truly put God's law into practice in this area of of your life, if you hold to biblical convictions, you are going to be an alien to people around you. I mean, they will look at you like you're from another planet. They're going to talk to you like you're a cartoon if you truly try and live out God's patterns of purity uh, in the world. So number one, we have to define the problem biblically and understand what God's word has to say about it. Number two, jot this down, we have to understand the pattern. How does it happen? How, How does adultery happen? Understanding the pattern will help us to avoid it from the very beginning of the process so that we're not too late in the game when we wake up and realize, oh my goodness, I'm about to ruin my life understand the pattern how does it happen well we understand that society has changed that sexuality is watered down now and very cheap and easy and people are living lives for themselves so much pornography is being produced every year that's you know the uh, somebody once said that the laptop never says no and and men and women have uh, a harem at their beck and call every moment of every day before they get married and then when they're married So the pattern of the sexualization of the culture leads to sexual misbehavior. Jot this down. Therefore, we have to win the battle in the heart and in the mind. We have to win the battle in the heart and in the mind. That begins when we accept God's law and his will and his design for marriage and for our bodies. We allow him to tell us who he designed us to be. We allow him to challenge us not to live a selfish life where I'm trying to amass all of the pleasure I can intimately, but a life where I'm going to make a promise uh, to another person so that all of that passion is bound up together in that protection. I like what Tim Keller says. He said that the passion leads us to make a promise, and then the promise makes the passion even greater. That's God's will, that the promise of a life together would intensify and protect that passion that you enjoy with one person for life. 
If you're not guarding your mindset, if you're not guarding your moral standards, then you will slip down the slope into this pattern of sexual dysfunction. Uh, too many people aren't guarding their heart and their mind. They're allowing their imagination to get impure. This is the secret place of the soul where a man or a woman escapes and enjoys the companionship of a forbidden person and no one else is able to see it yet. Adultery doesn't start when a man when a man mutters some magical pickup line to an unsuspecting woman walking by and he just says the right words and she's like, oh, wow, you just swept me off my feet. Adultery doesn't start when some guy, you know, at work walks up to you and he's like, hey, I'd love for us to ruin our households. Are you in? It doesn't, what you see on the outside comes a long time after people morally fail on the inside. What you see on the outside comes a long time after people define relationships poorly and selfishly from the very start. And then when they don't get their needs met at the beginning in a marriage, then what do they do? Well, then they go out and they start shopping very quickly somewhere else. I have a picture here that's pretty funny, but I think it illustrates a huge part of the problem in marriages today. Check this out. This is a picture of a man who just won't grow up. <laughs> you see that? He just doesn't want to grow up. And I think a huge the Wall Street Journal article just also hits on this, that there is just a determination to not mature in this area of our lives and to refuse to make binding lifelong commitments that benefit other people. Uh, and I'm not just harping on the men. Uh, there are plenty of stories of women who say I do before God and people and have very good men, godly men that they're married to, and they just don't want it. They start to define themselves outside of their home and they start to seek passion outside of the home forbidden relationships and women and men are both equally guilty in this but underlying all of this is the pattern of not being selfless not showing sacrificial love to other people and that battle is lost in the imagination and in the ideas of what they want out of life in matthew 5 28 it says this i tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart do you see how it begins in the heart? If you don't have a pure heart, if you don't have a protected heart, you will begin to imagine scenarios that are forbidden. Then you'll feed them, and then they'll grow, and they'll intensify, and then finally you'll get to the point where you take some risk and you begin confessing your feelings to another person. But it begins when you lose the battle in the heart and in the mind. Jot this down. The pattern, typical components of a relationship that has gone bad includes this. Bait, disguise, secrecy, and bondage. These words come up, these concepts come up in the book of Proverbs all the time. These are common components to an adulterous relationship. Bait, disguise, secrecy, and bondage. Bait. Bait. There will be someone in your life who you're not married to who begins to captivate you. There's just a draw. There's just a pull. There's just something different. And that is bait. And what you do with the bait will set the course for the future of that relationship. When you're married to someone and there's someone else who begins to catch your eye and your imagination starts to flow, at bait, bait. Don't take the bait. I've got a picture of bait here. Check it out. This is bait. All right, now listen. This is what that person is. All right? So if there's someone who you are uniquely drawn to, but they're not your spouse, that's bait. 
just take this picture and apply it to the profile person in your phone so that when they call you know all right now there are there are people if you're uniquely drawn to them that you shouldn't even have them in your life at all but sometimes it's a co-worker sometimes it's like i've talked to guys before who they're like she's on my route i make deliveries i can't just not do my job fine fine bait don't take the bait and maybe some of you here today need to hear this maybe there's someone who you are drawn to don't take the bait in proverbs 5 3 to 5 it says this for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey bait bait and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps follow the path to sheol she's leading you to the grave don't take the bait you see the idea of a disguise here too her speech is smoother than oils sounds so good seems so fun seems like a good thing and i i've met with many couples in my history and ministry here in other churches to to help them uh, to help strengthen marriages but in some instances there's the suspicion or the uncovering of an inappropriate relationship maybe it hasn't gotten adulterous yet or we've helped couples through that and what i've found consistently is the person who is forming a relationship with someone else outside their marriage never sees it as a bad thing you you have to show them that this is not a good thing right so the man i was meeting with many years ago who was walking a co-worker to her car and holding her hand and giving her a hug goodbye and i said where do you think that's going well we're just friends really are you just going to play board games together when you go over to her house you're not seeing this clearly you are taking the bait and it's amazing when you touch someone's sin how they rise up against you and we had quite a conversation there in my office and this man finally caved and he broke and he said I can't do this to my Jesus. And that's a, su- a success story. God won that time. But there are other times when the person doesn't see it and they don't want to see it. They take the bait and they don't understand the disguise. You have to understand the uh, anatomy of sin here. Someone is not going to come and bang on your door and be like, Hi, I'm a scumbag. Can I ruin your life? sure come on in i've been waiting for someone like you and i don't know how you imagine this playing out but the way you should imagine it playing out is someone who is a good listener someone who is easy to talk to he seems nice it's just a work lunch we're just hanging out we have the same favorite show this is the way it starts Okay. And if you don't understand the disguise that this good person is just helping me through life, you're blind. You're blind. There is always a disguise. Sin always inc- Satan is masquerades as an angel of light. Okay, so there will be a reason why this person seems to be helping you in life. Understand the pattern. Bait, disguise. And then we don't have this on the screen, but Proverbs 7, 18 to 19 says this come let us take our fill of love till morning let us delight ourselves with love for my husband is not at home he's gone on a long journey secrecy secrecy there's a reason why you're keeping this hidden it's because you know it's wrong 
There's a reason why you're deleting your texts. There's a reason why you're covering your tracks. There's a reason why you're finding other ways to communicate. There's a reason why you have the fake email accounts and the fake Twitter accounts and the secret ways of talking to people, and it's because you know it's wrong. You're covering your tracks because you know it's wrong. Well, people wouldn't understand. Well, it's because it's wrong that they wouldn't understand. See, you're fooling yourself. No more secrets. No more secrets. Stop believing the lie. This person is not from God. Proverbs 6, 27 to 29 tells us where an adulterous relationship goes. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. This is the bondage. This is the bitterness if you don't flee from this path. It's like a person who, well, I'm just lighting my sleeve on fire. Here's a picture of a Hollywood stuntman. Check it out. And this is your future if you don't run from sexual sin. That's you. There you are. If you want to know how this story is going to end before you actually take the next step, cover yourself in gasoline, set yourself on fire. Go down to the burn victim ward at the hospital and and then endure agonizing pain for the next three years while you kind of recover. That's how this story is going to end for you. Make no mistake about it, pain is coming. So God uses in his word this idea of being a burn victim to warn you in advance to not walk down that road. Maybe you've been following the headlines in Hawaii of a volcano erupting. Here's a picture of a volcano. And they're, they're beautiful if you're touring and they'd stay in, the fire stays inside the volcano. Okay? But once it comes out and, and sexual, you know, when it comes to sexual intimacy, as long as it stays inside of marriage, it's beautiful and powerful. Um, but once it spills over, then you have a giant problem. And here's another picture of, you know, lava flowing down the street. And some guy picked the wrong parking spot because there's his car and it's gone. Okay, the idea is this. If you allow sexual sin to explode outside of your marriage, oh, it'll be hot. It'll be hot for a little while, but it'll make your life colder in the end. 100% of the time, you will end up in a colder place because this is not God's will for you. So we have to define the problem biblically and understand the pattern. Win the battle in the heart and mind and watch out because there's bait, disguise, secrecy, and then bondage in the end. Number three, we need to understand the source. See the source of where this is coming from. If you don't know why you're feeling these temptations or where these feelings are coming from, then you're not going to be able to withstand them. So why are we tempted? Why are we tempted? Well, the Bible teaches us that we are sinful from birth, sin by nature, and we're also sinful by choice. This includes our sexuality. So our attractions are all warped and broken. We're attracted to people we shouldn't be attracted to. When we're married, we're attracted to people we're not married to. Okay? And that attraction is not in and of itself pure and innocent and, and trustworthy. Right? So there are going to be attractions that feel good, that bring us joy, that seem to be leading us down a path of happiness. But in the end, it leads us to the grave, the Bible says. If you just spiritualize every attraction that you have, you might conclude, well, I married the wrong person because now I'm attracted to this person. That is a misunderstanding of your nature. Jot this down. Sin warps our sexual desires. It feels right. And our world is asking, how could it be wrong if it makes me happy? People will say, how can this good thing be so wrong? 
and understand that sin feels tremendous at the beginning. It's in the end that it leads to death. So your own heart is warped and you can't trust those affections, especially when they lead you off the safe trail of God's word. In Proverbs 5, 18 to 20, it describes the battle in the heart. It says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So it's like a fountain that you're drinking from. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. <laughs> this is in the Bible. Uh, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? This is a lovely portrait of a married couple enjoying such a warm and intimate bond that it's like they're, they're, it's like they're drinking. I mean, it's like intoxicating because the fire is hot at home. John Piper is famous for saying that when it comes to sexual sin, fight fire with fire. Don't try and put the fire out. Keep the fire warm at home, right? But then it goes on to describe a man who is so caught up with a forbidden woman that he's like intoxicated with love for her. He's like drunk because he's embracing the bosom of an adulteress. That is not God's will for you. So sin warps our sexual desires and you have to keep a healthy, clear, pure mind on where you're finding the gratification. Next, Satan seeks to destroy us. You can write that down. There is a real personal spiritual being, many of them, in the heavenly realms, demons, and they are out to ruin everything good that God has created, including marriage. Sometimes people say, Satan, you still believe in that old fairy tale? Tell you what, if you don't believe in Satan, you're a sitting duck. All right. It's like getting in the ring and saying, I don't believe in Mike Tyson. You'll believe in him real fast. All right. One swing. And then you will be like, I believe. And when Satan takes you down and ruins your marriage and your life, and somehow it was just so well choreographed, you're like, how could I have been so blind? You'll believe. You'll believe that there is a personal spiritual being who knows things about you. Charles Spurgeon talks about how we're baited into sexual sin. And he says this, Charles Spurgeon says, you will see neither hook nor line. You will see neither hook nor line. Meaning he knows the bait to use to get you. Satan seeks to destroy us. In Proverbs 7, 21 to 23, it says this, With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes down to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Proverbs describes getting caught up in adultery here as like an animal getting caught by a hunter. Uh, like an ox to the slaughter, a stag caught fast, an arrow piercing its liver, and it'll end in death, a bird in the snare. In other words, Satan is a very, very good trapper uh, and, and a hunter. The Bible describes Satan as a lion looking for someone to devour. And if you walk down this path, you're stuck, you're trapped, you're caught, and it's going to cost you your life. I've got a picture here of two deer who tried to jump through a fence. Okay, now maybe you hunt deer. Maybe some have gotten away. But I can imagine as a hunter, if you walk up and you see that, hunt is over. And I found out that this just so happens to be a cemetery fence. They're stuck in a cemetery where they're about to die. And listen, this is the way the Bible describes you if you're walking down the road into an adulterous relationship. Satan has you. You are dead. You're dead. You're a sitting duck. 
This is God's way of trying to alert you to your peril when everything in you is trying to deceive you. So we have to define the problem biblically, understand the pattern so that we don't go down that road. We have to see the source, that our sexual desires are warped and Satan is seeking to destroy us. And then number four, we have to know the consequences. What happens after adultery? What are the stakes? When it comes to the consequences of adultery, the Word of God could not be more clear. In Leviticus 20.10, it says this, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Listen, you need, you need to let this clear up any wrong thinking you have because Hollywood's not going to tell you this. Nashville's not going to tell you this. Madison Avenue's not going to tell you this. If you commit adultery, God feels murderously angry toward you. He wants you dead. It's a capital crime. Please understand it doesn't matter what your girlfriends say. It doesn't matter what the guys are telling you. God calls it worthy of death. When you stand in front of him, there will be no mercy because of this sin. This is a warning from heaven. In Hebrews 13.4, it talks about how God judges sexual sin in his church. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God's plan for your adultery is disaster and death. That's his plan. This is not his will for you. Now, God's law in the Old Testament does not carry over legally today. So it's not that civilizations or America or the church needs to impose a death penalty on people who have committed adultery. But God's heart has not changed. This is how he feels about you. If you do this, God's judgment will come maybe not right away. If you read the book of Revelation, the letters to the church, God allowed adultery to happen in one of the churches. And God said, I have given her time to repent, but time is up. Meaning he will allow it to play out. You think you're getting away with it. You think it must be something he brought into your life. Listen, the day God wants it to come out, there will be nothing you can do to stop it. Let me say that again. The day that God wants it to come out, there will be nothing you can do to stop it. It will come out. And the pain will be unavoidable. The pain can include disgrace, disorder in your home, disease, depression, or worse. When we're helping people in relationships, sometimes we have to figure out if there's something going on. And then if we find out there's another person who's trying to get involved in a relationship, um, Sometimes I'll even give that man or woman a call. The person who's trying to break into this marriage, um, courtesy call. I'll call him up, read him some Bible verses, say, this person attends my church and you have no business being in a relationship with this person. And um, supernatural things have happened to people who are flirting with sexual sin. There was one man in particular who I called him and warned him and told him God's judgment is coming. Uh, there is no proof linking this together, but within weeks he died a very untimely and tragic death. And 
I don't know. But I know God's warning was spoken to him and his heart didn't change. Know the consequences. Jot this down. Your only options after adultery are ruin or redemption. These are the only two outcomes. Either the story will end in ruin for you or redemption. Ruin if you don't repent. Redemption if you do. If you don't repent of adultery, you'll be ruined in this life and in the next. If you do repent, God can rebuild your life and maybe even your marriage if it's not over yet. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, it says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Let me read that again. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, this is great news. If you repent of your adultery and you bring that sin into the presence of Christ and ask him for forgiveness, you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified in God's court of law, and it only happens in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not turn you away. Just as God allowed David to continue in his throne after a sinful, adulterous relationship and even murder, so God will receive you and forgive you and restore you. There is only one sexually pure person who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore everyone is in the process of being restored, renewed, and redeemed by Christ every day. Here's the last thought. You can jot this down. Forgiveness is the only way forward. If you have had an affair, if you have committed adultery, you need forgiveness. You have to repent and you have to confess it to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. And if this tragically has happened to you, the only way forward is for you to forgive the person who hurt you, just as God would forgive them. Bring that whole burden to the cross, whether they're repentant or not. In John 8, 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery before Jesus And they said, she deserves to die. What should we do? And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, starting with the older, they walked away, dropping their rocks. And then Jesus, who was the only one qualified there, who was without sin, to put her to death, he said, has no one condemned you? She said, no. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and leave your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. Meaning judgment has been postponed. And this is what God says to us. Repent and leave your life of sin. And then you can be forgiven. If you don't forgive, if, you don't, if you're not forgiven, you'll be consumed by bitterness, revenge, and doubt. But if you come into the presence of the Father, He can restore you. He can rebuild you. He can do it. I want to give us a time here to close in prayer and to take all of this into the presence of the Lord and to respond to what we've heard today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, I know that that woman who was caught in adultery, who was brought before you, was afraid for her life. And I know the sentence of death was upon her in your court, and yet you showed her mercy. And I pray that there would be anyone here today has been caught up in the sin of adultery, Lord, and they're afraid and repentant, I pray that they would cry out to you and confess their sins and that they would know that they can be forgiven, fully forgiven, but only because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed.
Their sin was paid for by the death of another. They have not gotten away with anything, but your justice has prevailed at the cross. Your love triumphed over our sin. Father, I pray for any today who have been broken by this sin. I just pray that you would help them to forgive, help them to bring all of the pain to you so that it can serve its divine purpose. Jesus, you are the only one who will never betray us, who will never turn on us, who will never leave us. Thank you for that love. Help us to rest our wounded hearts in your good hands. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church prune us and perfect us and bring what is hidden in the darkness into the light. And I pray that you would strengthen marriages now, that we would have so many stories of marriages that have gone the distance and lasted so many decades, Lord, to your glory. We trust you, Lord, in a sinful and dark world. We trust you to strengthen us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song together.